Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. O-M-G. Okay, I know that there's a chapter 14, but we have all, all of you have who have stuck with us and have read with us through all of these chapters, this is it. This is the last chapter minus the extra chapter, you know. But this is chapter 13 of the 13th book. We have been waiting for this for a long dang time. What what do you mean yeah yeah yada yada? That's a, like hundred and seventy chapters. Wait, is that even right? Hundred and seventy chapters. Thirteen times Yeah. Crazy. How many chapters we've all read together? Or if they haven't read, they've listened to. It's a lot. It's a commitment. We This is the longest commitment that we've ever been in with a book. Uh well, okay, so for example, this pay this see here okay mm. this one is 321 pages plus the extra chapter though okay chapter 13 a series of unfortunate events by lemony snicket book the 13th the end chapter 13 it is a well-known but curious fact that the first bite of an apple always tastes the best which is why the heroine of a book much more suitable to read than this one spends an entire afternoon eating the first bite of a bushel of apples. But even in this anarchic little girl, the word anarchic here means apple-loving, not exactly, but okay, never tasted a bite of a, as wonderful as the Baudelaire or Baudelaire's Baudelaire orphans first bite of the apple from the tree their parents had hybridized with horseradish. The apple was not as bitter as the Baudelaire orphans would have guessed, and the horseradish gave the juice of the apple a slight sharp edge, like the air on a winter morning. But, of course, the biggest appeal of the apple offered by the incredibly deadly viper was its immediate effect on the deadly fungus growing inside of them. From the moment that the Baudelaire teeth bit down on the apple, the first, bless you, first violets and then sun, clouses and then sunnies, the stalks and caps of the medusoid mycelium began to shrink. And within moments, all traces of the dreaded mushroom had withered away and the children could breathe clearly and easily, hugging one another in relief. The Baudelaire's found themselves laughing, which is a common reaction among people who have narrowly escaped death. And the snakes seemed to be laughing too, although perhaps it was just appreciating the youngest Baudelaire's scratches behind his tiny hooded ears. I wonder how come the snake doesn't get the medusoid mycelium. Interesting. Should we have another apple, Violet said, just to make sure we've consumed enough horseradish? And we should collect enough apples for the whole island for all the islanders, Klaus said. They must be just as as desperate as we were. Stock pot, Sonny said, and walked to the rack of the pot on the ceiling where the snake had helped 
her take down an enormous metal pot that could hold a great number of apples and in fact had been used to make an enormous vat of applesauce a number of years previously. You two start picking apples, Violet said, walking into the periscope. I want to check on Kit Snicket and the flooding of the coastal shelf must have begun by now and she must be terrified. I hope that she avoided the medusoid mycelium, Klaus said. I hate to think of what it would do to her child. <gasps> Fierce, Sunny said, which meant something like, we should rescue her promptly. The islanders are in worse shape than Kit, Klaus said. We should go to Ishmael's tent first and then go rescue Kit. Violet peered through the periscope and frowned. And frowned. We shouldn't go get go to Ishmael's tent, she said. We need to fill the stock pot with apples to get the coastal shelf get to the coastal shelf as quickly as we can. What do you mean? Klaus said. They're leaving, Violet said. I'm sorry to say that that was true. Through the periscope, the eldest Baudelaire could see the shape of the outrigger and the figures of its position, poisoned passengers who were plunging, pushing it along the coastal shelf towards the library raft where Kit Snicket still lie. The three children each peered through the periscope and then looked at one another. They knew that they should be hurrying but for, for a moment, none of the Baudelaire's could move, as if they were unwilling to, to travel any further in their sad history or to see any more part of their sad story come to an end. If you had read this far in the, of the Chronicles of the Baudelaire Orphans, I certainly hope that you have not. Then you know we have reached the 13th chapter of the 13th volume in this sad story. And so you know the end of end is near, even though this chapter is so lengthy that you might never reach the end. But perhaps you do not know what the end really means. The end is a phrase which refers to the completion of a story or the final moment of some accomplishment, such as a secret errand or a great deal of research. And indeed, the 13th volume, 13th volume marks the completion of my investigation into the Baudelaire's case, which required much research, a great many secret errands, and the accomplishments of a number of my comrades, from a trolley driver to a bot botanical hybridization expert, with many, many type writers, repair people in between. But it cannot be said that the end contains the end of the Baudelaire story, and more than the bad beginning contains its beginning. The children's story began long before that terrible day on Briny Beach, but there would have been a, another volume of, to chronicle when the Baudelaire's were born and when their parents married and who was playing the violin and the candlelit restaurant when the Baudelaire's parents first laid eyes on one another and what was hidden inside that violin and the children of the man who orphaned the little girl who put it there. And even then, it could not be said that the Baudelaire story had not begun because you would still need to know about the certain tea party held in the penthouse suite and at the baker who made the scones served at the tea party and the baker's assistant who smuggled the secret ingredients into the scone batter through very through a very narrow drain pipe and how crafty volunteers created the illusion of a fire in the kitchen simply by wearing a certain dress and jumping around and even in the beginning of the story would be as far away as the shipwreck that left the Baudelaire's that left the Baudelaire's parents castaways on the coastal shelf as far from the outrigger on which the islanders would depart. One could say, in fact, that no story really has a beginning and no story really has an end, and all of its world stories 
are just as jumbled as the item in the arboretum. Items in the arboretum with their details and secrets all heaped together so that the whole story, from beginning to end, depending on how you look at it. We might even say that the world is always in medias res, a Latin phrase here, which means in the midst of things or in the middle of a narrative and that it is impossible to solve any mystery or find the root of any trouble. And so, the end is really the middle of the story, as many people in this history will live long past the close, the closed chapter of 13, or even the beginning of the story as a new child arrives in the world at, at the chapter's close. close. But one cannot sit in the midst of things forever. Eventually, must one must face the end that is near and the end of the end is quite near indeed so if i were you i would not read the end of the end as it contains the end of a notorious villain but also the end of a brave noble sibling and the end of a colonist stay on the island as they sail off to the end of the coastal shelf the end the end of the end contains those ends but does not depend but that depends on how you look at it so it might be the best might be best for you to stop looking at the end before the end of the end arrives and to stop reading the end before you read the end as the stories that end and the end that begin in the be, in the bad beginning are beginning to end now the Baudelaire's hurriedly filled their stockpot with apples and ran to the coastal shelf hurrying over the bray as quickly as they could it was past lunchtime, and even in the waters of the sea were already flooding the shelf, so the water was much deeper than it had been since the children's arrival. Violet and Klaus had to hold on to the stockpot high in the air, and Sunny and the incredibly deadly viper climbed up the elder Baudelaire's shoulder to ride along the bitter with the bitter apples. The children could see that Kit Snicket could see Kit Snicket at the horizon, still lying on a library of ra- a library raft as the waters rose and soaked the first few layers of the books alongside the strange cube that was the outrigger as they drew closer they saw that the islanders had stopped pushing the boat and were climbing aboard pausing from time to time to cough while at the head of the outrigger was a figure of ishmael seated in his che clair gazing at the poisoned colonists and watching the children approach stop violet cried when they were close enough to be heard we've discovered a way to dilute the poison baudelaire's came a fa- came the faint cry of kit high atop the library rock thank goodness you're here i think i'm going into labor i'm sure you know labor is a term for the process by which a woman gives birth and it is a herculean task a phrase here which means something you would rather not do on a library raft floating on a coastal shelf sunny could see from her stockpot perch kit holding her belly and giving the youngest baudelaire a painful grimace we'll help you violet promised but we need to get these apples to the islanders they won't take them kit kit said i tried to tell them how the poison could be diluted and but they insisted on leaving no one's foreseen them, Ishmael said calmly. I merely suggested that the island was no longer a safe place and that we should sail for another. You and the Baudelaire's are the ones who got us into this mess, came the drowsy voice of Mr. Pitcairn, thick with fungus and coconut, and coconut cordial, but Ishmael is going to get us out. The island used to be a safe place, said Professor Fletcher, far from the treachery of the world, but since you've arrived... 
It's become dangerous and complicated. It's not our fault, Klaus said, walking closer and closer to the outrigger as the water continued to rise. You can't live far from the treachery of the world because eventually treachery will wash up along your shores. Exactly, said Alonzo and yawned. You washed up and spoiled this island forever. So we're leaving it to you, said Ariel, who coughed violently. You can have this dangerous place. We're going to sail to safety. Safe here, Sunny cried, holding up an apple. You've poisoned us enough, said Irwan. Irwin. I don't know what his name is, sorry. Irwin, the islanders wheezed in agreement. We don't want to hear any more of your treachery and your ideas. But you were ready to make mutiny, Violet said. You didn't even want to take Ishmael's suggestions. That was before the medusoid mycelium arrived, Ben said hoarsely. He's been, he's been here the longest, and he knows how to keep us safe. At his suggestion, we all drank up a quite a bit of cordial while he figured out the root of the trouble. She paused to catch her breath as the sinister fungus continued to grow, and the root of the trouble, Baudelaire's, is you. By now, the children had reached the outrigger, and they looked up at Ishmael, who raised one eyebrow and stared back in frantic... Oh, sorry, stared back at the frantic Baudelaire's. Why are you doing this? Klaus asked the facilitator. You know, you know we're not the root of the problem. In medius rest, Sunny cried. Sunny's right, Violet said. The medusoid mycelium was around before we were born, and our parents prepared for its arrival by adding the horseradish roots to the apple tree. If they don't eat these bitter apples, Klaus pleaded, they'll all come to a bitter end. To the, tell the islanders the whole story, Ishmael, so they can save themselves. The whole story, Ishmael said, and leaned and leaned down from this chair so that he could talk to the Baudelaire's without the others hearing. If I told the Islanders the whole story, I wouldn't be keeping them safe from this terrible secret. They almost learned the whole story this morning and began to mutiny over the bre over breakfast. And if they'd known that all these island secrets, there'd be a schism in no time. <sighs> <sighs> Better a schism than a death, Violet said. Ishmael shook his head and fingered the wild strands of his woolly beard. This one is, no one is going to die, he said. This outrigger can take us to a beach near Lousy Lane where we can travel to a horseradish factory. You don't have time for such a long voyage, voyage Klaus said. I think we do, Ishmael said. Even without a compass, I think I can get us to a safe place. You need a moral compass, compass violet said those spores of the medusoid mycelium can kill within the hour the entire colony could be poisoned and even if you make it to the shore the fungus could spread to anyone you meet you're not keeping anyone safe you're endangering the whole world just to keep a few of your secrets that's not parenting that's horrid and wrong i guess it depends on how you look at it ishmael said goodbye baudelaire's he sat up straight and called out to the wheezing islanders i suggest you start rowing he said and the colonists reached their arms to the water and began paddling the outrigger away from the children the baudelaire's hung on to the side of the boat and called to the islander who had first found them on the coastal shelf friday sunday said uh, sunny said take an apple don't succumb to peer pressure, Violet begged. 
don't succumb to peer pressure. Oh, because she wants them to stay with her to stay with them. Freddie turned to face the children, and the sibling could see that she was terribly frightened. Klaus quickly grabbed an apple from the stockpot, and the young girl leaned out of the boat to touch his hand. I'm sorry to leave you behind, Baudelaire, she said, but I must go with my family. I've already lost my father, and I couldn't stand to lose anyone else. But your father, Klaus started to say, but Miss Caliban gave him a terrible look and pulled her daughter away from the edge of the outrigger. Don't rock the boat, she said. Come here and drink your cordial. Your mother's right, Friday, Ishmael said firmly. You should respect your parents' wishes. It's more than the Baudelaire's ever did. We are respecting our parents' wishes, Violet said, hoisting the apple as high as she could. They didn't want to shelter us from the world's treacheries. They wanted us to survive them. Ishmael put his hand on the stockpot of apples. What do your parents know, he asked, about surviving? And then, with one firm, cruel gesture, the orphans pushed against the stockpot and the outrigger moved out of the children's grasp. Violet and Klaus tried to take another step closer to the islanders, but the water had risen too far and the Baudelaire's feet slipped off the surface of the coastal shelf and the siblings found themselves swimming. Found themselves swimming. The stockpot tipped and Sunny gave a small shriek and climbed down to Violet climbed down to Violet's shoulders as several apples from the pot dropped into the water with a splash. At the sound of the splash, the Baudelaire's remembered <sighs> remembered the apple core that Ishmael had dropped and realized why the facilitator was so calm in the face of the deadly fungus and why his voice was the only one of the islanders that wasn't clogged with stalks and ca- caps. We have to go after them, Violet said. We, we may be their only chance. We can't go after them, Klaus said, still holding the apples. We'll ha- we have to help Kit. Split up, Sunny said, after staring after the departing outrigger. Klaus shook his head. All of us need to stay if, if we're going to help Kit give birth. He gazed at the islanders and listened to the wheezing and coughing coming from the boat fashioned from wild grass and limbs of trees. They made their decision, he said finally. Kentucky, Sunny said, and she meant something along the lines of, there's no way that they'll ever survive the journey, but the youngest Baudelaire was wrong. There was a way. There was a way to bring the islanders a single apple that could share, that they could share, each taking a bite of the precious bitter fruit that might tide them over the fridge tied them over, as you probably know, means help help deal with difficult with a difficult situation until they reached some place or someone who could help them, just as the three Baudelaire shared an apple in the secret space where their parents had enabled them to survive one of the most deadly and unfortunate events ever to wash up on the island shore. Whoever brought this apple to the islanders, of course, would need to swim very stealthily to the outrigger, and it would help if they were quite small and slender so that they might escape the watchful eye of the outrigger's facilitator. The Baudelaire's would not notice the disappearance of the incredibly deadly viper for quite some time as they were so focused on helping Kit so and so that they could never say for sure whether what happened to the snake? My research into the reptile story is incomplete, so I do not know what the other chapters what other chapters occurred in this history, as ink, as some prefer to call the snake, slithered from that 
from one place to the next, sometimes taking shelter in the treachery of the world and sometimes committing treacherous acts of its own, a history not unlike what the Baudelaire orphans, which have called little more than register of cr crimes, follies, and misfortunes of mankind. Unless you have investigated the islanders' case yourself, there is no way of knowing what happened to them as they sailed away from the colony that had been their home. But there was a, there was a way that they could survive the journey. A way that, that may seem fantastic, but is no less fantastic than the three children helping a woman give birth. The Baudelaire's hurried to the library raft and lifted Sunny off of the, into the stockpot on top of the raft where Kit lie so the youngest Baudelaire could hold the wheezing woman's gloved hand and the bitter apple could dilute the poison inside of, of her as Violet and Klaus pushed the raft towards the shore. Have an apple, Sunny offered, but Kit shook her head. I can't, she said, but you've been poisoned, Violet said. You must have you must have caught a spore or two from the islanders that floated by. Apples will harm the baby, Kit said. There's something in the hybrid that's bad for people who haven't been born yet. That's why your mother never tasted one of her own bitter apples. She was pregnant with you, Violet. One of Kit's gloved hands drifted down the top of the raft as she patted the hair of the eldest Baudelaire. I hope I'm half as good of a mother as your yours was, Violet, she said. You will be, Klaus said. I don't know, Kit said. I was supposed to help you children on that day when you finally reached Briny Beach. I wanted nothing more than to take you in my taxi to some place safe. Instead, I threw you in a world of treachery at the Hotel Denouement. And now, I want nothing more than to reunite you, reunite you with your friends, the Quagmires and Quagmires. Instead, I left them behind. She uttered wheezy. She uttered a wheezy sigh and fell silent. The Baudelaire's continued to guide the raft toward the island and noticed for the first time that her hands were pushing against the spine of a book whose title she recognized from the library of Aunt Josephine that was kept under her bed, Ivan Lacrimose, Lake Explorer. While her brother was pushing against the mushroom minuti, minute, a book that had been a part of Fiona's mycological library. What happened, she asked, trying to imagine the strange events that would have brought these books to her shores. I failed you, Kit said, and coughed. Quigley managed to reach the self-sustaining hot air balloon just as I hoped he would and helped his siblings and Hector catch the treacherous eagle at an in an enormous net while I met Captain Wittershins and his stepchildren. Ferdinand and Fiona? Klaus said, referring to the hook-handed man who had once worked for Count Olaf and the youngest and the young woman who had broken his heart. But they betrayed him and us. The captain had forgiven the captain had forgiven the failures of those he had loved, Kit said, as I hope you will forgive mine, Baudelaire's. We made a desperate attempt to repair the Queequeg and reach the Quagmires as their aerial battle continued and arrived just in time to see the balloons of the self sustaining hot air balloon pop under the cruel breaks of the escaping eagles. They tumbled down to the surface of the sea and crashed into the Queequeg. In moments, we were all castaways, treading the water in the midst of all the items that survived in the wreck. She was silent for a moment. Fiona was so desperate to reach you, Klaus, she said she wanted to forgive you. She wanted you to forgive her as well. Did she 
Klaus couldn't bear to finish her question. I mean, what happened next? I don't know, Kit admitted. From the depths of the of this sea, a mysterious figure approached us almost like a question mark rising out of the water. We saw a radar we saw that on the radar screen, Violet remembered. Captain Wittershin refused to tell us what it was. My brother used to call it the Great Unknown, Kit said, clasping her belly as the baby kicked violently. I was terrified, Baudelaire's. Quickly, I fashioned a vaporetto of favorite Dietrich that I'd been trained to do. A vaporetto, Sonny asked. It's an Italian term for boat, Kit said. It was one of my many Italian phrases that Monty taught me. A vaporetto is a favorite Detritus, oh, detritus, and is a way to save yourself and your favorite things at the same time. I gathered all of the books in reach that I enjoyed tossing and tossing the boring ones into the sea, but everyone else wanted to take their chances with the great unknown. I begged the others to climb aboard as the question mark approached, but only ink managed to reach me, and the others. Her voice trailed off, and for a moment, Kit did nothing did nothing but wheeze. In an instant, they were gone, either swallowed up or rescued by that mysterious thing. You don't know what happened to them, Klaus asked. Kit sh shook her head. All I heard, she said, was one of the quagmires calling Violet's name. Sunny looked into the face of the distraught woman. Quigley, the youngest Baudelaire, couldn't help asking, or Duncan? I don't know, Kit said again. I'm sorry, Baudelaire's. I failed you. You succeeded in your noble errands at the Hotel Denouement and saved Dewey and the others. But I don't know if we'll ever see the Quagmires and their com companions again. I hope that you'll forgive my failures, and when I see Dewey again, I hope he will forgive me too. The Baudelaire orphans looked at one another, and sadly, realizing that it was time to, at last to tell Kit the whole story, We'll forgive your failures, failures, Violet said, if you forgive ours. Klaus, we failed you too, Klaus said. We had burned down the Hotel Denouement, and we knew we didn't know if anyone would have, had escaped safely. Sunny gripped Kit's hand in hers, and Dewey is dead, she said, and everyone burst into tears. There is a kind of crying I hope you have not experienced, and it is not just crying about something terrible that has happened, but... A crying for all the terrible things that have happened, not just to you, but everyone that you know, and everyone that you don't know, and even the people that you don't want to know, and crying that cannot be diluted by a brave deed or a kind word, but only by some holding you by your shoulders and shake and shaking your you in your tears as they run down your face. Sunny held Kit, Violet held Klaus. And for a moment, the four castaways did nothing but weep and letting their tears run down their faces and into the sea, which was somewhat, which some have said was nothing but a library of all the tears of, in history. Kit and the children let their sadness join the sadness. Um, of the world and cried for the people who were who were lost to them. They cried for Dewey Denouement and for the Quagmire Triplets and for all of their companions and guardians and friends and associates, for all the failures they could forgive and all the treacheries they could endure. They cried for the world and for most of all, of course, the Baudelaire orphans cried for their parents. The Baudelaire orphans who knew finally that they would never see them again. 
Even though Kit Snicket had not brought news of their parents, her story of the great unknown made them see that the people who had written all of those chapters in a series of unfortunate events were gone forever into the great unknown and that Violet, Klaus, and Sunny would be orphans forever too. Stop, Kit said firmly through her fading tears. Stop pushing the raft. I cannot go on. We have to go on, Violet said. We're almost at the beach, Klaus said. The shelf is flooding, Sunny said. Let it flood, Kit said. Kit said, I can't do it, Baudelaire's. I've lost too many people. My parents, my true love, my brothers. At the mention of Kit's brothers, Violet thought to reach into her pocket and retrieve an ornate ring emblazoned with the initial R. Sometimes the things you've lost can just can be found again in unexpected places, she said, and that and held up the ring for Kit to see. The distraught woman removed her glove and held that ring in her bare, trembling hands. This isn't mine, she said. It belongs to your mother. Before it belonged to our mother, Klaus said, it belonged to you. Its history began before we were born, Kit said, and it should be and it should continue after we die. Give it to my child, Baudelaire's. Let my child be a part of the history, even if my baby is an orphan and all alone in the world. The baby's not going to be alone, Violet said. If you die, Kit, we will raise the baby as our own. I could not ask for better, Kit said quietly. Name the baby after one of your parents, Baudelaire's. The custom of my family is to name a baby for someone who has died. Ours too, Sunny said, remembering that her father had told her that when she had inquired about her own name. Our families have always been close, Kit said, and even if we had to stay apart from another, now finally we're together as if we're one family. (sighs) (sighs) Then let us help you, Sunny said, with a weepy-weezy nod, and Kit Snicket let the Baudelaire's push her vaporetto of favorite detritus off of the coastal shelf and onto the shores of the island, where eventually... Where eventually everything arrives just as the outrigger had disappeared in the horizon. The children gazed at the islanders for the last time, at least as far as I know. And then the other cute in the Cuba books tried to imagine how the injured and pregnant distraught woman could get safe to a place to birth a child. Can you lower yourself down? Uh, can you lower yourself down? Down, Violet asked. Kit shook her head. It hurts, she said, her voice thick with the poisonous fungus. We can carry her, Klaus said. But Kit shook her head again. I'm too heavy, she said weakly. I could fall from your grasp and hurt the baby. We can invent a way to get you to the sh- to shore, Violet said. Yes, Klaus said. We'll just run to the arboretum and find what we need. N- no, uh, no time, Sunny said, and Kit nodded in agreement. The baby is coming quickly. She said, find someone to help you. We're alone, Violet said. But then she and her siblings gazed at the bench where the raft had arrived, and the Baudelaire saw crawling out of Ishmael's tent the one person whom they, whom had not shed a tear. Sunny slid down to the island, bringing the stock pot with her, and the three children hurried hurried up the slope to to see the struggling figure of Count Olaf. Hello, orphans, he said, with his voice wheezier and rougher from the spreading poison of the medusoid mycelium. 
Esme's dress had fallen away from his skinny body, and he was crawling in the sand in his regular clothes, with one hand of the sea sh- on the seashell cordial and the others clutching his chest. Are you to bow before King Olaf, the king of Olaf land? We don't have time for your nonsense, Violet said. We need your help. Count Olaf's one eyebrow raised, and he gave the children an astonished glare. You need my help? He asked. What happened to all those island fools? They abandoned us, Klaus said. Olaf wheezed horridly, and it took the siblings a moment to realize that he was laughing. How did you like them apples? He he sputtered, using an expression which means, I find this qu- this situation quite remarkable. We'll give you apples, Sunny said, gesturing to the stockpot. If you help, I don't want fruit, Olaf snarled and tried to sit up, his hand still clutching his chest. I want the fortune that your parents left behind. The fortune isn't here, Violet said. None of us have ever has ever even seen a penny of that money. Even if it were here, Klaus said, you might not live to enjoy it. MacGuffin, Sunny said, which meant your schemes mean nothing in this place. Count Olaf raised the shell to his lips, and the Baudelaire's could see that he was tr- that he was trembling. Then maybe I'll just stay here, he said hoarsely. I've lost too much to go on. My parents, my true love, my henchfolk, my enormous amount of money. I didn't even earn even the boat with my name on it the three children looked at one another remembering that their time on that boat and recalling that they had considered throwing him overboard if olaf had drowned at sea the medusoid mycelium might never have threatened the island although the deadly fungus eventually would have washed up on the shores of the and if the villain were dead then there would be no one to help no one on the beach who might help Kit Snicket give her child get help Kit Snicket and her child. Violet knelt on the sand and grabbed the villain's shoulders with both hands. We ha we have to go on, she said. <sighs> Do one good thing in your life, Olaf. I've done lots of good things in my life, he snarled. I took I once took in three orphans, and I've been considered for several prestigious art el- the um, theatrical awards. Klaus knelt down beside his sister and stared into the villain's shiny eyes. You're the one who made us orphans in the first place, he said, uttering out loud for the first time a secret that the Baudelaire's had kept in their hearts as mo- almost as long as they could remember. Olaf closed his eyes for a moment, grimacing the pain, and slowly stared at each of the three children. Is that what you think, he said firmly. We know it, Sonny said. You don't know anything, Count Olaf said. You three children are the same as when I first laid eyes on you. You think that you can triumph in this world with not nothing more than a keen mind, a pile of books, and the occasional gourmet meal. He poured one last gulp of the cordial into, into his poisoned mouth before throwing the seashell into the sand. You're just like your parents, he said, and he said, and from the shore, the children could hear Kit Snicket moan. You have to help Kit, Violet said. The baby's arriving. Kit, Count Olaf asked, and in one swift gesture, he grabbed an apple from the stockpile, stockpot, 
and took one savage bite. He chewed, wincing in pain, and the Baudelaire's listened at his wheezing and settled, wheezing and listening as his wheezing settled and the poisonous fungus was diluted by her parents' invention. He took another bite and another and a horrible groan. The, the villain rose to his feet and the children saw that his chest was soaked with blood. You're hurt, Klaus said. I've been hurt before, Count Olaf said, as he staggered down the slope and waded into the waters of the flooded coastal shelf. In one smooth gesture, he lifted Kit from the raft and carried her to the shores of the island. The distraught woman's eyes were closed, and the Baudelaire's hurried down to her. Down, down to her. They were not sure if she was alive until Olaf lied her down carefully on the white sands of the beach, and the children saw her chest heaving with breath. The villain stared at Kit for one long moment, and then he leaned down and did a strange thing. As the Baudelaire orphans looked on, Count Olaf gave Kiss Snicket a gentle kiss on her trembling mouth. Yuck, Sonny said as Kit's eyes fluttered. I told you, Count Olaf said weakly. I told you I'd do one last... Wait, I said weakly. I told you I'd do that one last time. You're a wicked man, Kit said. Do you think one kind act will make me forgive your failings? The villain stumbled a few steps away and then sat down on the sand and uttered a deep sigh. I haven't apologized, he said, looking at the looking first at the pregnant woman and then at the Baudelaire's. Kit reached out and touched the man's ankle, right on the tattoo of an eye that had haunted the children since they had first seen it. Violet, Klaus, and Sonny looked at the tattoo, remembering all of those times it had been disguised and all the times it had been revealed, and they thought of all the other places they had seen. For, if you look carefully, the drawing of an eye also spells out the initials VFD. And, as the children had investigated the volunteer fire department, first trying to decode the organization organization's sinister mysteries and then trying to participate in its noble errands, it seemed the eye was watching them, although whether the eyes eyes were noble or treacherous good or evil it seemed now to be a mystery and the whole story of the eyes seemed like it might always be hidden from the children kept in darkness along with the other eyes watching as the orphans watching the orphans every day and every night the night was a thousand the night has a thousand eyes kit said hoarsely and lifting her head to face the villain. But the Baudelaire's could tell by her voice that she was was reciting the words of someone else. And the day but one, yet the light be bright, world dies with the dying sun. The mind had a thousand eyes, the heart blue but one, yet the light of a whole life dies Love when love is done. Count Olaf gave Kit a faint smile. You're not the one who has to re- who can recite the words of our associates, he said, and then gazed out at the sea. The afternoon was nearly over, and soon the island would be covered in darkness. Man hands on misery to man, the villain said. It depends it depends like a coastal shelf. Get out as early as you can. Here he coughed in a ghastly sound, and his hands clutched his chest. I and and don't have any kids yourself, he finished. 
and uttered a short, sharp laugh. When the villain's story came to an end, Olaf lay back on the sand, far away from the treachery of the world, and the children's eyes stood on the beach and stared into his face. His eyes shone bright, and his mouth opened as if he wanted to tell them something, but the Baudelaire's orphans could never, could, never heard Count Olaf say another word. Kit gave a cry of pain, thick with the po- poisonous fungus, and clutched her heaving belly, and the Baudelaire's hurried to help her. They did not even notice when Count Olaf closed his eyes for for the last time, and perhaps this is a good time to close your eyes too, not just to avoid reading the end of the Baudelaire story, but to imagine the beginning of yet another. It is likely that your eyes were closed when you were born, and so that you left the safe place of your mother's womb, or, if you're a seahorse, your father's yoke sack, and then joined the treachery of the world without seeing exactly where you were going. You did not yet know that the people who were making your way here were the people who could who would shelter you as your life began when you were even small and more delicate than de- and demanding than you are now. It seems strange that you would do such a thing, leaving and leaving your self care in the st- of stranger in the care of strangers for so long, only gradually opening your eyes to see what the fuss was about, and yet it is the way nearly everyone comes into the world. Perhaps if we saw what was ahead of us and and glimpsed the crimes, follies, and misfortunes that would befall us later on, we would all stay in our mother's wombs, and then there would be nobody in this world. But okay. <sighs> What a great number of very fat and very irritated women. In any case, this is how how our story begins with darkness and our eyes closed. And all of our stories end the same way, too, with all of, the uttering, all of us uttering some last words or perhaps someone else's before slipping back into the darkness of our series of unfortunate events as it comes to an end. And in this way, with our journey... With the journey taken by Kit Snicket's baby, we reach the end of a series of unfortunate events as well. For some time, Kit Snicket's labor was very difficult, and it seemed to the children that things were moving at an aberrant, a word here that means very, very wrong and causing much grief, direction. But finally into the world came a baby girl, just as, I'm very sorry to say, her mother and my sister slipped away from the world. Oh, he's the baby. World long after the night of suffering, but also the night of joy as the birth of a baby. The birth of a baby is always a good news. No matter how much news a baby will hear. The sun rose over the coastal shelf, which would not flood again for a year, and the Baudelaire orphans held the baby on the shore and watched as her eyes opened for the first time. Kit Snicket's daughter squinted at the sunrise and tried to imagine where in the world she was, and of course, she wondered it. She wondered this. She began to cry. The girl named the Baudelaires after her mother howled and howled as her sisters, as as... Her series of unfortunate events began. This history of the Baudelaire orphans ended. This is not to say, of course, that the Baudelaire orphans died that day. They were far too busy. Although they were still children, the Baudelaires were parents now. And, that's funny, and they had a quite, 
a lot to do. Violet designated the Baudelaire's equipment necessary for the raising and for raising an infant using the library of detritus stored in the shade of the apple tree. Klaus searched the enormous bookcase for information on child care and kept careful tracks of the baby's progress. Sunny herded the the and milked the wild sheep to provide nourishment for the baby and used the whisk that Friday had given her to make soft foods for the as the baby's teeth came in. All of the Baudelaire's planted seeds from the bitter apples all over the island to chase away any trace of the medusoid mycelium, even though they remembered it grew best in small enclosed, place, enclosed places, so the deadly fungus had no chance of harming the children on the island and would remain safe as it was the day that they had arrived. These chores took all day and all night, and while the baby was learning to sleep, the Baudelaire's would sit together in the two large reading chairs and take turns reading out loud from the book of their parents had left behind. And sometimes they would flip the back of the book and add a few lines of, to the history themselves. While reading and writing, the siblings found many answers which, which had been they had been looking for, although each answer, of course, only brought Fourth, another mystery, as there were many details of the Baudelaire's lives that seemed like a strange, unreadable shape, some great, some of the great unknown. But this did not concern them as much as you might think. One cannot spend forever sitting and solving the mysteries of one's history, and no matter how much one reads, the whole story can never be told. But... It was enough, reading their parents' words under the circumstances, the best for which the Baudelaire orphans could hope. As the night grew later, they would drop off to sleep, just as their parents did, in the chairs of the secret space between the roots of the bitter apple tree and the arboretum on the island far, from the far, far from treachery of the world. Several hours later, of course, the baby would wake up and fill the space with confused and hungry cries. The Baudelaire's turned, took turns, and while the other two children slept, one Baudelaire would carry the baby in a sling Violet had designed out of the arboretum and made made up the top of the bray where they would sit infant and parent and some have and have breakfast while staring at the sea. Sometimes they would visit Kit Snicket's grave or they would lay a few wildflowers or, or the grave of Count Olaf where they would merely stand silent for a few moments. In many ways, the Baudelaire, the life of the Baudelaire orphans that year is not unlike my own. Now that I have concluded my investigation, like Violet, like Klaus, and like Sunny, I visit certain graves and often spend my morning standing on a bray, staring out at the same sea. It's not the whole story, of course, but it's enough. Under the circumstances, it is the best for which I can hope. Interesting. Okay, that's it, except chapter 14, but I can't read this because Peyton's asleep and she has to be awake for it. Otherwise, that's just, like, not fair. Okay. We're kind of, we're, like, done, but, like, not really because we have that partial chapter. Peyton, are you awake? Nope.